Welcome to another episode of Top Lines and Tales, your weekly livestock podcast. And as always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Harbro, for their continued support with this program. This week in our characters in livestock, we talk to what I would only consider as a legend. And I know it's an overused word, but one of the greatest stockmen of his generation and a mentor to many and a, and a friend to many and, and sadly no longer with us, uh, Pete Dolman. Uh, Peter Piccolo, and known as Peter Piccolo, and nobody's quite sure why he was known as Peter Piccolo, I don't think. But I've got uh, Paul, his son, on the, on the line there. Uh, Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Andy. Thank you for having me. And Paul, let's just go, go back to your father here. Where, where was he born originally? Where's home to him? Um, he was born in Spilsby in Lincolnshire. Okay. Um, in between Bourne, I think it is, and uh, oh, Sleaford or somewhere there. Okay. Yeah, in 1932. Bloody hell. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's, my grandfather, his father was a farm bailiff. Right. And um, then they moved to a place called Oaksworth in Nottinghamshire. Right. And um, where he did most of his schooling and he started work. And I remember you saying that uh, the summer he was at, he was at school with uh, with somebody we might know. Oh, yes, yes, that was in Oaksworth. Um Cicel Armitage, who he went to work for, but he, his daughter, um, he called her Liz, I'm not sure what her first name was, but um, it would be Lady Glendine of the Angus fame. Of course, and Lady Glendine, Angus, Angus and Shorthorn, I think, and Lady Glendine up there up there in Scotland, but they must have lived down down that part of the world then before they moved to Scotland, I guess, Paul. Yeah, well, she was, I can say he was in school with her. I think she was a couple of years older um, with what he was saying. But I think she had an Angus her down in, oh, I'd like to say Wiltshire somewhere to start with. Okay. Because uh, I think Tony Miller was stopman there for a while. Um, and yes, and I can remember three counties. He went round to, well, he went up the Angus lines and saw her. And he said, oh, hello, Liz, how are you? Blah, 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 hugs and kisses. And and the stockman then says, you shouldn't say that. It's, it's Lady Glendine. He said, yeah, he said, I went to school with her. He said, I'll call her what I like. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was uh, quite a commonplace, wasn't it, going back there into the, I suppose we're talking 50s here and, and early 50s probably, commonplace for decent Angus herds in the south to relocate to Scotland, I think, whether they just thought that uh, they'd get better stock money if they're up there or whether they would just be nearer the action or nearer the purse. But there's quite a few herds at that time did do that relocation. Yes, they did. I, I don't, like I say, I don't know why, because um, like she moved up to Craig Essie, didn't she? Up in Zip Forfer, I think. I think that way. Um, so, yeah, it'd be a big move, I suppose. Indeed. But, Indeed. Yeah. <coughs> but you, your father, I said, sort of a, a greatest stockman of his generation and absolutely was. And, and uh, But he would have moved, as a, as a young man, he'd have moved around a bit, two, two or three jobs there, um, round about there, but nearly all, always with uh, good herds right from the start. Yeah, he moved... Uh, uh, when he was in Oaksworth and and uh, he started life as a pigman, um, and then I think I was on the way, and so they wanted to move to a bigger house, and they went to Guy and Estates, a couple of villages away, and he started to work with the Angus then, and from then on it went to Basil Samuel, um, down in Tisted in 
amateur. Basil Samuel would be an interesting man, and I've heard you mention a tested. I know that they, I think they had a they went on to to do well with fast talkers there. But Basil Samuel, the brother of Howard Samuel, and uh, interesting guys because they made a lot of money after the war buying up um, most of London's West End, I think, and they went on to become a company called Great Portland Estates, which might even be still be running, running and. and uh, uh, they'd be well connected with the Duke of Portland there, who farms pretty much half of Caithness up in, in the north. And uh, um, so the Samuel uh, family would be wealthy and well to do. And then, of course, he'd be cousin of Harold Samuel, who of Witchcross fame, who yeah. the Witchcross herd, uh, Angus herd would be one of the top Angus herds of the 60s, I suppose. And George Rugg, brother of the legendary Bert Rugg. And uh, um, George would have been down there at Witchcross. And I imagine your old man would have had something to do with with. With uh, with George back then, and uh, it was fantastic herd, and they'd all send bulls up together. I reckon to to the to probably up to Perth. Yes, um, by train in them days. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Um, yeah, they used to take them to. I think it was Alton Station, um, if I remember what he was saying. And yeah, they had a, the carriages all there waiting for them to load the bulls on, and then the train would turn up and hook them on, and they had a carriage in there somewhere for the stockmen, and off they'd go. Be a, be a fantastic educator, fantastic crack. I'd imagine going all the way up there on on the train, especially as a young man with some of those older stockmen. I'd imagine they'd stop on the way and pick up a few more here and a few more there until they got a whole full train by the time time they got to Perth. And they had to walk them to the market, didn't they? Yes, they walked them to the market. And Father said, you soon knew who to give a, a tip to to make sure you're, you're kissed and uh, feed and everything come along quicker than what you was expecting. Um, so yeah, he said it was something else. Of course, in them days, them bulls and that were all rugged up as well, wasn't they? they you know, would, those. Yeah, they would. They would put a lot of put a rugs on them because they'd have a lot of hair on those bulls. You know, back then it was all about hair. Still is, I suppose, but it was all about yeah, yeah. about hair back then. And, and these old boys and your your father included knew how to grow hair and they knew how to preserve that hair as well, didn't they? But yeah, going back to the to the train going up to the to the the Perth there, they, of course they would get. Um, as you said, the, 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 the station porters would probably bring all their equipment across, and you said, you know, with your old man, it'd be known who the movers and shakers were, and who's the one you flipped a five or two to to get your stuff delivered. Otherwise, you'd be standing out there in the snow for a while, waiting for <laughs> wait for it to arrive. <laughs> exactly, yeah, and, and like I say, it depends how many balls you got, how many journeys you made as well. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I suppose you'd have they'd have an excess of stockmen uh, back then, but I wouldn't. Uh, I don't know how big a farm, a bigger herd they had at, uh, at Tisted there, but I suppose, as I said. Witchcross would probably mucking, they'd all mucking together, maybe taking the, the bulls up, because Witchcross would be a little bit further, a bit further east than the Tisted, I think. Just a little bit, yeah. 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 And which, yeah. going back to Witchcross, of course, I said one of the top herds there, they won the, the, the Highland Show and, and the Royal Show in the same year. And uh, I think they won it three times in, in something like five years, which is an incredible achievement. And uh, they did the double of, uh, of winning the, the Scottish Winter Fair and London um, with the same animal in 1959. And you know, they tremendous, tremendous cattle tremendously brought out and uh, so your father would go along with that and I think Tisted uh, they had a, a good result in 1959 as well there Paul Yes he was baby beef steering Smithfield um, yeah um, Sparky of Tisted his name yeah a blue cross kind of steer not a pure Angus but uh, yeah yeah, Angus Cross, Blue Grey, I suppose a lot of those yeah, were back yeah. then, weren't they? They'd get to, yeah. And so that would have meant they probably ran Blue Grey cows down there in the south because Blue Greys normally you associate more with the, with the north. Yeah. It just shows that a Scottish influence they probably would have had oh. down there at distant. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And of course, you say them days, it was full of air. There was no trimming as much as there is today. No. And totally different looking. Yeah. 
Yeah, they would. Yeah. I mean, they did get into the trimming. We'll maybe get onto that in a second with a couple of his cohorts. So they started getting the shears into them and uh, they changed the job a little bit. But uh, he moved from Tisted, I think, back to Norfolk. And uh, there was a story a story there. I think he went off to, 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 to get a job there. Yes, he, um, he well, he, he went to Rothschild's estate in Buckinghamshire for a short time. Right. But we wasn't there very long. Um, and the job at, for, at Kellyn Pines for... Rawlings turned up and anyway he went to the interview and I had the mumps or the measles or something and, and mother had to stay at home anyway he come home and apparently yeah yeah great job yeah you, I think we'll be alright there and so forth and he didn't accept the job and so anyway uh, mother said well did you look at the house oh, no well <laughs> well you don't know what it was like he said well no I didn't look at it and that was it but so I, I think if mother and father had got to the farm before the um, furniture van she might have turned it round <laughs> <laughs> because it was a mess <laughs> uh, that's again the sign of a great stockman get there there'd be good stock and good facilities and that's I'd be interested and forget forget all about the fact that, that uh, he got to move his family there as well but uh, yeah he did and, and, and Kelling became you know a, a great breeding ground I, I suppose I don't know who was there at Rawlings before before your father but uh, from Kelling there a lot of great great cattle and the great champions came out of there didn't he and I think he had put his own stamp on those cattle well yes and and I went back to that farm about eight years ago and the prize cards were still sitting up on the board wow. in the same place so they was put in Moreland years ago excellent. yeah excellent getting a bit faded and wall I know but they were still make them out yeah Certainly, a few uh, okay. few championships, and, and we will on our, on our Facebook page. We'll put a few of the picture of those of those killing cattle on there. But uh, yeah, early days. I mean, we're still talking what middle sixties, I suppose. So the cattle would be sort of the, the smaller belt bottle type back then. But uh, there were quite a few of those that went off on on that that great ferry, if you like, down to the to South America, which everybody dreamed of putting yeah. the cattle on. I think quite a few yeah. went from from Kelling down there. But especially especially Harryfords, mm. um, yeah, the Harryford herd. Harry Rawlings was was a, a great friend for to, to Dick De Quincey. All right, okay. And they used to Harry Rawlings had hummingbirds, and I, I think Dick De Quincey did as well. So there was, you know, they got that, and they they um, I think they swapped these birds now and again, if the truth was known. <laughs> and um, so the herd was based on the verm. Okay. And of course, the listeners to this podcast will know that we've profiled and mentioned De Quincey many times as being one of the greatest Hereford breeders of all time. And that's interesting. And you said Rawlings, I think he seemed to have, your father seemed to have some fairly wealthy and well-to-do um, bosses. And Rawlings, did, where, where did they make the money, Rawlings? A wealthy man, I think. He was Rawlings Raw Plugs. Raw Plugs. So the original Raw Plugs. Plugs, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah. That, that would be... I'd imagine it'd be nice to be in a place like that when you have got a wealthy boss who could just buy the bulls and the stock bulls that they needed. And, and I guess your father, by that time, with the experience, would, would take him along and say, all right, this is what we need and uh, get it bought. Yes, very much so. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and we mentioned some great stockmen and there have been some great stockmen during that era and, and it was an era really where the great stockmen were and the, the era from the 60s to the 80s was sort of halcyon days of the of the pedigree cattle business I'm not saying it's not a great business today but back then it was a glamour business really wasn't it and uh, and he would have um, his two pals Sandy Beaton and, uh, and Alistair Retty would be his two cohorts there and again <coughs> two, two legendary names in the cattle business and the, the three of them would all be sidekicks together Oh, very much so. Yeah, they come very firm friends over the years. And, well, right up until um, Alistair and father's passing, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, and 
we saw Sandy the other week. He's looking very well at the funeral. So, yeah. And Father thought very much of, of Albert Retty. Uh-huh. He said, one man to watch and listen to, he said, because you, you could learn a lot of that man. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. I think yeah. we've had that mentioned again on this podcast quite a lot of times. Albert Retty of his generation, and we're talking 40s, I suppose, to 50s, 60s. Albert Retty would be one of the greatest stockmen that that, that had been. And uh, yeah, Alistair Retty followed his t- footsteps. And of course, we've got to, uh, Richard carrying on in the, same, in the same vein now and still still doing a great job out there, uh, Richard. And Richard, if, you li- if you're listening, I'm still trying to get you on this podcast. We'll get you nailed down one of these days. <laughs> uh, but, but those boys would be known for, for working hard, but also they'd play hard. I think... Uh, I'm right in thinking that Clive Davis in the eulogy at uh, your father's funeral said that they, they, they planned hard, they worked hard and they played hard and that's about right for those three. They would, uh, they'd have some crack with it. They'd make the job uh, into, into a bit of fun too. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I think they used to get up to some... I can remember, <clears throat> remember him saying once um, in Perth that uh, they ended up down in the town somewhere and the police picked them up and took them back um, to their lodgings and told them to stay there. And, he's, you know, anywhere else would have got arrested sort of thing. But no, they got away with it and got back up to the balls in the morning. And yeah. Those yeah. Wonderful days in Perth, of course, when the market was right in the middle of the town. You'll remember yeah. that, Paul, as well, right just the back of the Waverley Hotel there. And you could literally crawl out the Waverley straight into the market and, 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 and out of all the pubs in town, really. So there would be a lot of folks that wouldn't get, yeah. wouldn't get to their beds very much during that time. Uh, <laughs> and, and another place who wouldn't get to their beds very much, of course, would be Smithfield. And I think that was, uh, again, one of your father's great loves, um, being, you know, being down there in Smithfield. I remember him down in B Block when I first met uh, your father. It would be 1975 or six, I think. And uh, he gave me so much advice and I'm forever in his debt and me and a lot more like me as youngsters he looked after us but uh, that, that down in B block there was some crack you'd be down there as well there was some crack down there in those dungeons underneath the Earl's Court weren't they? Oh it wasn't the just it was the first time I saw a gallon bottle of whiskey <laughs> and it was rolled up in a, a big blanket and one of the Scotchmen brought it out and oh, I was amazed at the sight of that in my day you know. <laughs> I remember your father telling me about that he said I, I think it was him no I tell you it was Brian Waits used to be with the Lincoln Reds and he was oh, yeah, talking yeah. about your father's and I remember him saying they brought a gallon bottle of whiskey and they took the top off and threw it away that we won't need that again yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is a fair, a fair I don't know how many <laughs> would be drinking it but they'd be passing it around and the, they took the top off and chucked that away we shan't, shan't need that again and I remember your father again another stomping ground of his would be uh, Bingley Hall the, the, the Birmingham Prime Stock as it was back then and uh, he had his share of successes there, didn't he? Yes, very much so. And, and back from the days when it was in the middle of Birmingham as well. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, yeah, it, it was the same layout as it is today, actually. And But we used to sleep up in the balcony and next door all there was a chicken show and those kids used to get kicked out in the morning to go and nick the eggs so we could have a fry up. Uh, <laughs> From the chicken chicken. Yeah. But you were popular when they were looking to find their eggs and they weren't there. <laughs> no, it was. Uh, a lot of people probably don't know that, but the original Bingley Hall was bang in the middle of Birmingham. My father remembers going yeah. there. I think it burnt down in 1972 or three around about there. I my father remembers some Jack Brook winning the very last one, I think, with a with a pure Hereford. And those were the days. And then, of course, it moved to Bingley Hall in Stafford. Where, well, they built the new Bingley Hall, as it's still known yes. now in Stafford. Uh, well, well, I, I remember your father when I started going there, I suppose it would be late 70s, and us, um, we used to have a grand 
we have a, a party sort of after midnight in the middle of the main ring and we just carry all the bales in there and there'd be a crowd of us there'd be Bob Powell and Fred Harrington and uh, and yourself probably and certainly your father and a crowd of us being in the middle of that, <coughs> middle of that ring and we put them round in a circle and then your father for some strange reason decided to start jumping along sitting on his chair backwards and just hopping along a little bit and then next thing you know we, he's bunny hopping down there challenging me to a race so we bunny hopped <laughs> to the end of the ring and back and then by the time we got to the following year this chair race thing became quite a big, big, a big deal and we had checkered flags and, and, and rosettes and what have you and we used to have to do a lap of the ring <laughs> sitting bunny hopping backwards <laughs> on a chair there that's the, the kind of kind of crack that you've had and he always had a bit of crack and always always did it with a smile a smile on his face there and, and, and in those big boots uh, Paul that everyone will remember seemed to be him and him and Sandy Beaton and, and Alistair Retty I think they must have all bought their boots in the same shop yeah I think those all bought from Rogerson's at Calso <laughs> yeah They'd, yeah, they'd probably pick them up, pick a pair up on the way back home from Perth, I'd imagine. Yeah. <clears throat> and you and you mentioned Fred Arrington. Well, there's somebody else, isn't there? Mm-hmm. It, um, father and Fred were great friends, and they went to judge a show on the Isle of Butte. Well, they'd gone over a week for a one-day show. <laughs> and, it's a long way. It's a long way, Paul. It's a long way. <laughs> I, I know. I know it is, but. I, I think they must have got up with some of them, mixed up with some of the McMillans, because it's their stronghold up there, isn't it? It is, yeah. Tom, so, Tom uh, McMillan yeah. would be Tom McMillan and his family there would be cause from, from the Isle of Butte, when they got in there, you're right. It'd take a day or two to get away from them, but yeah, they'd <laughs> so, yeah. have a good excuse. It's a long way. To, it's a long way to go, but to go missing for a week. Well, I'm sure he wasn't too popular when he got back. He'd have to work his way out of that one. <laughs> <laughs> I always managed to get out of a scrape. Uh-huh. Yeah, and and then from Rawlings in Norfolk, we said with the you know, Kelling Pine Herd and, and Herefords and Angus that they had there, uh, he went to Sir George and Lady Harriman at uh, at Heronfield Herefords, and again a great couple of people. Oh yeah, fantastic! Yeah, they they helped me on my way as, as very much so. You know, um, they yeah, both of them fantastic. You know, mm-hmm. they was. <sighs> I won't say Lord and Lady, but you wouldn't have known it. No. You wouldn't have known it. No, they're fantastic. No, George would get in there yeah. amongst the stock himself, wouldn't he? Uh, Sir George, shall I say, and amongst and the, stock, it, and the stockmen as well. Oh, yeah, he'd rather be with the stockmen than he would the breeders, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to be honest. And he, his, his, the boot of his car was very well stopped. <laughs> <laughs> yes, another great boss to have, I would have thought. And then when George died, uh, uh, your father went on to, to Dick Adams. But uh, Lady Harriman kept the Herefords on, didn't she, for a long time? In actual fact, that you know, the herd carried on. Uh, it, it carried on in a small way, yes. Uh, if I remember right, I think Lady Harriman said to my father, she said, we're going to wind down slowly. If you can find another job, uh, you do that. Okay. And, you know, that's what happened in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, no, that's very good, very good. And, and then we talk about good bosses. I mean, you couldn't have a better boss or a nicer man than Dick Adams. What a lovely, lovely chap. And uh, um, a, a, a farmer there, a, a proper farmer, I think, in there, sort of Welford. And I don't think they had many Herefords when he went there and his father ended up staying there 40 years and, and he really was the backbone of, of that herd. Yes, you know, they didn't have many when he went there and a lot of people were surprised at him going, you know, to, just to a farmer in a sense and not to some you know moneyed outfit um and yes he you know he got on well and, and they did well i must admit they built the Arifords up and they had a lot of success certainly did yeah um, and like i say when uh dick adams died well father just carried on running the farm mm-hmm. for, for for his wife gwen 
but so, yeah, they did. They did have a lot of success. A lot of success, but a lot of show success, didn't they? I mean, it was. Uh, I think you know, Dick enjoyed the shows as much as your father did, and they would do, you know, the three counties, and they would do the royal, and 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 uh, he wouldn't miss a year unless unless he was judging or something was wrong. He'd never miss a year. A year. In fact, more than those two shows, there'd be a lot of shows that. Uh, well, like I say, he's, uh, they they did very well there, and, and and Dick Adams got very enthusiastic with Harry Pitts, and, and well, in, in fact, he went over to Canada and. And wore wore bash gold standard with Richard Milner and Ray Westaway. Okay, okay. So brought and, brought a bit of Canadian blood. The times were changing then, of course, weren't they? And these bigger wolves were yes. were needed. And I'm sure your father wouldn't let them go too extreme with uh, some of the big narrow buggers that they brought in there. But the uh, <laughs> no, bash bull was a good bull. I remember him being at uh, yeah. remember him being at three counties. But I was just saying, you know, he had. Yeah, you know, they would go to all the shows year on year, and he wouldn't miss a year unless he was judging. He wouldn't miss a year at all. No, not at all. And it didn't matter who was judging that show. If they went to it, they went to it the next year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he didn't follow a judge or anybody like that. Okay. And, uh, yeah. No. And, and, and talking about judges, uh, he did judge a lot himself, and yet the judging would get him up and down the country. And, and the enjoyable job, I'm sure you've judged yourself, an enjoyable job getting about and judging, but uh, there wouldn't be many places, corners of the country he didn't get to. No, there wouldn't, actually. He'd been, yeah, all over. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. From the Isle of Butte down. <laughs> <laughs> well, he judged, he judged Birmingham one year and gave me the champion, so um, I'm grateful to him for that. And I think it was a bit of, bit of a stooshy that year, if I remember, because Birmingham took it on themselves to put both judges, uh, used to have a pedigree judge and then a butcher's judge, and then put them both judging for the champ- championship. And uh, uh, your father had to stand his ground and ended up giving me a, a champion for uh, with a limousine steer that belonged to John Bliss, I think, from down in, in Suffolk. Oh, all right. But, uh, yeah, he stood, his, he stood his ground up to... I don't think who it was against. <laughs> Now, but he stood his ground up to somebody anyway, and, and, and I ended up with the, with the silverware that year. So I was always always grateful to uh, to that one. But as I said, he, it was uh, you know, he was a, a great judge of stock, but uh, a good judge of character and and, and and a character as well um, in and amongst that. But one we all learned from. I know I can. There'll be a lot of people listening to this saying, "Well, you're you're not really doing him justice." You know the way he taught all us youngsters. He did a lot for the breed as well as the youngsters, I suppose, for the Hereford breed. For all he started out with Angus, Hereford probably became his his main love, didn't it? Oh yes, yeah, yeah. The Hereford was, yeah. And you talk about the youngsters. He 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 loved doing those um, paraders competitions and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was very particular. You didn't um, you didn't wear trainers, and you had to have a tie on. And you'll probably know you you didn't do it in shorts. Um, <laughs> he gave me a bollock in for wearing a pair of shorts. The royal show, the royal show, I think it was. I think I was going to parade a calf for him, and uh, I got a pair of shorts on. He sent me. He sent me back and couldn't get some proper trousers on and proper boots. So yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Didn't, he, didn't, he, he encouraged the youngsters to do it right. And, and as you said, the, the the young the youngsters' competitions, they got to wear a tie and they got to. And, and that's right. That, I mean, that's the way the job should be. It's it's about paying respect to the judge by being out there in your in your best. It's no good showing your animals if you're best attire if you're not in your own best attire as well. Well, he always he always said to me. He said, if you're a smart man, you must have smart cattle. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if he said, if you're scruffy, he said, usually your cattle were. That's, that's wise words. Oh, I probably was scruffy back then, to be fair, but uh, that's <laughs> that's wise words because he always was well turned out. Your father always, very, no, I don't ever seen him without a tie in, in all the other years that I'd known him without a tie and his boots polished yeah. and his hair, you know, he was always well turned out. And I think that applies to Sandy Beaton and Alistair Retty and a lot of that older <laughs> generation. They really did, you know, they, they had a lot of respect for themselves as well before they even got near the cattle. Exactly, yeah. And like I say, it, it must have rubbed off because his, his grandson's done well in paraders competitions over the years. So, 
it uh, must have rubbed off somewhere. And that'll be your son, yeah. Paul. You're over in Herefordshire. And I think you, your father moved over there, didn't he, in his more recent years when he became a bit ill? He moved over here about six years ago, I think it was. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And uh, he took a bit of dragging over, but um, we got him there. <laughs> and your son's um, involved in, well, you're involved in the cattle business. You're still, still involved in the cattle business, aren't you? Still with Hereford? Yeah. Well, uh, Angus now. Angus, okay. Yeah. Yeah, my son's involved a bit, but um, he married a farmer's daughter and... Uh, well, he gets the show inside of it when he can, put it that way. He does a bit of trimming for people and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And he won the Angus YPD one year. And Did he? Okay. Got a, yeah, that's a, got a trip to Canada. So, yeah. That's a fantastic organisation, the, 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 the Young Angus Breeders, isn't it? Uh, and they, yeah, do, it they is. do. And you don't have to be an Angus Breeder. I think you can enter. But, uh, again, we've spoke to someone on this podcast over the times. And uh, so your father would encourage that and be mentoring some of these youngsters to go into that. And, that's yeah, that was brilliant to see. And sadly passed away in in, uh, in October, this, just earlier on this year. They'd been ill for a while, though, Paul. Yes, he, um, he, the last two years, really, his dementia, I'm afraid, got hold of him. And, yeah, he went downhill slowly. And, of course, COVID come along and we couldn't see him and things like that. So... Yeah. Yeah, it was hard times, but yeah. Hard times. Well, I appreciate you coming on yeah. and talking to us about it because I said it isn't really that long ago, but uh, a man I wanted to speak about because I had a lot of respect for, and I think not just me, but most of the older generation on this podcast will, will all of them, I would say, would uh, would have known of, of, of Peter, and those that didn't, they will know, will have heard of him. It was uh, a Peter Picklow, and known as Peter Picklow, and nobody's quite sure why he was known as Peter Picklow, I don't think, but that was uh, that was always his handle, wasn't it? Yeah, it seemed to be. And no, I don't know why. Somebody might enlighten us after this. You never know. You well, never know. Sandy might be a man on that one. I don't know. But uh, certainly I remember asking him and I, and I never got a straight answer as to why he was called Peter Pickle, <laughs> no. He was always, always known as Piccolo Pete and, uh, yeah. and a man just about at all the shows when when I was younger. And, and uh, as I said, a man we learned from. And But he had a, a massive ability with livestock, didn't he? And about uh, your philosophy of always getting the animals prepared at home. And uh, so you didn't... Uh, and, and, and a man who never used a show stick. You know, there's a few of those out there. Davy Smith would be another one, but uh, there, there's maybe very few who actually uh, yeah, never took a show stick to an animal, didn't need one because the animals were already trained, pre-trained at home. And Paul, you're still involved. You're involved in, in Angus there, and you've been uh, you've been involved in the, in the cattle business all your life, man and boy. Yes, yes, I had uh, three or four years with father, and and one day <clears throat> I think I was getting too big for my boots and telling him what to do and he said oh he said this place isn't big enough for both of us and I'm not leaving so I went <laughs> and I went into mid Wales and uh, I was there for a big outfit that was a number of years and and then moved to Herefordshire mm-hmm. about 30 years ago now so yeah you'll, you'll be thinking of yeah. retiring Paul I would have thought uh, hopefully next May time we'll wind things up yeah Oh well, you better yeah. maybe get a last kick at the ball at the three candies show. I'll be I'll try and get there myself this year, and maybe we'll we'll get in and have a beer and raise and raise a glass to to your father because uh, I haven't seen you since that date. So uh, no, no, that would be a good idea, Andy. Be a great idea. Well, yeah. I, I really appreciate you, you you coming on here and chatting about him. As I said, a man I had a lot of respect for, and uh, um, it's uh, it's been a pleasure, absolute pleasure talking to you, Paul. And uh, as I said, we'll catch you there for for a beer in a short while. Lovely, right? Thank you very much for having us, Andy. Cheers, all the best. Right, thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Top Lines and Tales. And uh, as always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Harbro, for their continued support as we run into our 110th 
tenth episode. And uh, don't forget that calving is fast approaching, and uh, Harbro would recommend moving cows onto their super suckler minerals for at least six weeks before calving. So that's kind of about now, really. So uh, to get the cow and the calf ready and to boost it all, all important colostrum qualities. So uh, you take a look at Harbro's super suckler minerals there. And again, we like to thank Harbro for all their their help there, and uh, wish them and everybody else a uh, belated happy new year. You can, of course, find out all about Harborough on the, the internet and on social media, as well as contacting your local representative. And uh, while you're on social media, don't forget to look up our Top Lines and Tales Facebook page, where there'll be photographs to back up uh, this episode and previous episodes. <laughs>